eyes are loaded Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed Everybody knows the war is over Everybody knows the good guys lost Welcome to the Lifeboat Hour. Welcome, welcome, and thank you for joining us tonight. I'm your host, Carolyn Baker, and as you may know, this show is now scheduled to air on Wednesday nights, and we hope that moving this time will facilitate a smoother airing, since on Sunday nights, human staff are not at the PRN studios, and therefore, the computers that are in charge of airing the Sunday night show often went down. Uh, it happened so many times that most of you became weary of even contacting me to let me know because it happened so often. But hopefully we'll not have this issue on Wednesday nights anymore. I'm keeping my fingers and toes crossed. Now, before I introduce our guest tonight, uh, I need to say that today, February 3rd, assuming that we are airing on Wednesday, February 3rd, would have been the 61st, 65th birthday of our friend Mike Rupert. I therefore want to dedicate this show to him tonight and say thank you, MCR, wherever you are, for what you gave us in those 63 years that you were on the planet. We're going to play a special song in honor of Mike a little later in the show, but I want to move forward to introduce our guest in a moment. So my guest is Ivy Cohn, whom some of you from know from Extinction Radio. Ivy is a media producer and consultant with over 30 years of experience in all facets of video production, including live performances, show hosting, independent video journalism, and documentary production. Her video fortes are handheld location shooting, concept development, crew management, and editing. For several years, Ivy was producer and host of the Lane Community College weekly TV show, where she provided, uh, she was a liaison for all departments needing campus television services. She also supervised final semester media students in program production. She's worked in industry as marketing and communications manager and as a print and video project coordinator. Uh, she has a very special attention deficit disorder video series that has been distributed internationally. Her current endeavors include producing and hosting Fuki Cafe, a show discussing the challenges of our times shot in various locations across the Pacific Northwest, and X Notes, Field Notes from Extinction, as well as media contributions to Nature Bats Last, and she's a co-producer for ExtinctionRadio.org. Ivy Cohn, welcome to the Lifeboat Hour. Carolyn, it's a delight to be here. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, if people go to my website at carolynbaker.net, they're going to be able to see some of the wonderful video interviews that you've done with me recently and a very special clip of my telling a story with the African drum that you so beautifully, creatively put together um, uh, using a number of venues. But, uh, you know, I'm really pleased to have you with us here tonight. You've interviewed so many people over the years, and tonight it's your turn to be interviewed and the spotlight put on you. So I'm excited to have you here because we're going to get into some topics that you and I really resonate with, and I'm eager to share our enthusiasm with our listeners. Likewise. Uh, Yeah. First of all, you've shared with me the names of some key people who have influenced you, and some of those have influenced many of our listeners. And, of course, one of the names you gave me is Mike Rupert, and I'll ask you about his influence on you a a bit later. But 
Let's begin with the list uh, that you gave me of people who've influenced you. And first, you mentioned our dear friend Mary Nelson in Chico, California. How has Mary influenced your life and your worldview? Well, my goodness, um, I would say how has Mary not influenced my <laughs> life and my worldview? She's a dear, dear friend, and um, she's really at the top of my list uh, of these individuals because she not only introduced me to uh, Mike's work, but so many others. Um, really, they all, I, I have to give her a lot of credit. She really changed my life by uh, exposing me to uh, the dynamic work of, of so many. Um, she is what she herself has termed an info-warrior and is the biggest connector of the dots that uh, I've ever encountered. Um, she takes social justice, environment, patriarchy, climate chaos, philosophy, economics, it goes on and on and just shows how these things affect each other and how they're interwoven. And I, I'm so thankful for that. Uh, she and I both, over many years, way prior to meeting each other, had been doing what you call the inner work uh, digging down and figuring out, you know, what's going on inside in relation to the events in our in our life experience and, you know, sifting and sorting and finding that emotional congruency within when there's just so much cognitive dissonance outside, all around us. And uh, this this is, I think, a very important, well, your work points to this continuously. It's the foundational piece. We have to go inside and get clear with ourselves and have that solid center grounding. And she's been very instrumental in, in helping me to develop an even deeper sense of that. Um, you know, she's just enlarged that context for me of the events of our time. And, you know, sometimes she'll just reel me in when I get, you know, too far out in some direction and ask pointed questions that make me stop and really think about what I'm saying. Is that really what I'm saying? hmm, is that really the word that I want to use? Um, and I have to say that I didn't really grasp, Carolyn, the, the insidious nature of patriarchy until she and I became dear friends. And this, this is a topic that she spent decades looking at and researching and you know, unraveling, as it were. And, of course, it's everywhere. It's foundational to the mess, the predicament that we're in. So, you know, our conversations go in you know, multiple directions, uh, and ultimately we, we end on the story of the universe. You know, how could we not? Right, and, um, you know, just a couple of weeks ago I had uh, Harvey Austin on, in, on the show, and he wrote a wonderful book, book called Elder's Rock. And uh, we were talking uh, throughout the whole show about what it means to be an elder. And, of course, I, I repeatedly say over and over that um, elderhood is about wisdom. It's not so much about age. But when you get someone who has the age and life experience and the wisdom, as Mary does, and I know Mary also, um, then you have this beautiful elder to who to whom we can come and I know you and I both come to her for wisdom for advice and for support and you know that person becomes like a rock in our world and and so I'm really really pleased and and Mary has been focused on inner work and you know it was interesting this week on my symposium uh, we interviewed Dar Jamal 
Gar Jamal, who's just a phenomenal climate writer and was an unembedded journalist in, during the Iraq War. Um, and Dar now is, is really focusing on connection with nature and connection with the inner world. And uh, Dar says, there's nowhere to go but inside. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm pleased that you're talking about this. I'm pleased that we have such a wonderful role model in Mary who's been doing this for years. And, you know, I certainly understand how she's influenced your life. She's influencing mine as well, even as we speak. <laughs> Well, you, you, you must remember, too, that one of the things that Mary brings to us is a tremendous sense of humor. Oh, yeah. And I think, oh, that, yeah. I think, that he, I think humor is a vital piece. Um, you know, humor is, I don't know, somehow connected to joy, which is very different from happiness. Right. Joy is an eternal quality, and, and yeah. humor is right in there with joy, and yes, it's, it's a gift that she gives frequently. Yeah, and, uh, you know, nobody can survive, you know, what we're going through right now if you're consciously awake and aware of our, our planetary predicament and how dire it is. You've got to have some humor mixed in because you're not going to be able to survive knowing what you know. No, it may be hysterical humor, but got to have it. <laughs> it could be black humor, but you've got to have it. <laughs> yeah. You also mentioned uh, Derek Jensen as another person who's had an impact on your life. I'd like to hear about that. Derek also is going to be in our symposium. He'll be speaking to us on Tuesday night. Talk to me about Derek's influence on you. Well, I guess I'm going to have to just acknowledge, you know, Mary again. Um, she and I and a small group of other individuals, including Janae Donaldson of Pink Moment TV, Back in 2007, uh, worked together to bring What a Way to Go, Life at the End of Empire, which is a, a, a still a dynamic film um, for our times, and, and we brought it to our community. And that film, actually, uh, was when both of us were introduced to Derek's work. And um, after the, the film and the dust settled, you know, we were like, you know, who is this person? How can we get more information? You know, this, this guy is like really right on the money. Well, perhaps that's not the phrase I should use. Mary would call <laughs> me to accountability right there. Um, but one of the things that Derek brings to all of us is his way of phrasing and delivering information in such a way that, uh, you know, one's brain makes unexpected connections on its own. Uh, he, he, he just, you know, he'll start on a track of thought, and then he'll verge to another, and then he'll stop mid-sentence, and, and he does this in his writing as well. Remarkable. And, and your brain just sort of expands out into new territory, and then, bam, he just ties it all together. Um, he has stretched my brain. And, like Mary, showed me this amazing interweaving and interconnectedness of the dynamics that we're dealing with on the planet. Um, you know, that's, that's huge. And, um, he, he's a comfort to me, really. And I'm, I'm gonna share a little something that happened to me mm, some years ago, but I'll, I'll get to that in, in, in a minute. Uh, one of the most significant things I think that Derek has, has given to me, uh, comes in the, what is a well-known phrase of here, his, we're really fucked and life is good. And this sort of sounds like Now, would you that repeat cognitive... that? Because that's one of my favorite phrases. Okay. Well, we give Derek full credit. We are really fucked, 
and life is good. You know, that phrase sums up the cognitive dissonance that we're all living with now. Life is so beautiful, and the earth is withering. You know, terrible degradation is just everywhere, and yet that depth of the human love and compassion is emerging under that pressure. And so learning to hold both of these at the same time, all the time. And, you know, I've, I've recently been reading your new book, Dark Gold, which is absolutely fabulous. Um, and in, in that, you, you cite Young, and I'm just going to take a moment and actually read this passage. Rather, we may choose the path of paradox and what Young called holding the tension of opposites. From my perspective, this is the most radical embodiment of all. And in terms of the shadow of extinction, it is important to hold the tension of opposites, to pursue the forms of activism which resonate with our hearts while, at the same time, bearing witness to all that is dissolving, including our own bodies. So I thank Derek for having so clearly brought into my focus that sense of how can I hold all of this at the same time, that it's, it's devastating and it's so sweet. But this is what we're being called upon to do, Carolyn, and this is why digging down inside and finding stillness so that we can increase our capacity for being able to hold both of these things at the same time. Now, the, other, the other big... Go ahead. Yes? Go ahead. Um, the, the other big, big point for me from Derek's work is, is this. Um, he talks about if we can keep some salmon or some old-growth forest, some rivers, some fill-in-the-blank, uh, alive, you know, this year, that they may be here next year, and maybe, maybe by these efforts, more life in some form can make it through this mass extinction that we're in the middle of. Um, you know, it, it even if it has little to no impact, I mean, so oftentimes we have no clue if what we're doing is going to have an impact, but it does, because everything is interrelated, as Brian Swim says. Um, so, you know, at, at least I will know that I have gone out in my highest integrity fighting for life. And that is one principal thing that Derek has given me. You know, he's, he's a, just a constant companion and commiseration uh, for the times that we're in. And this is very valuable, having someone with whom you can commiserate, uh, especially when the people around you are, you know, in complete denial or and you're watching them being eaten alive by this culture. Um, and I, I just want to share a little story. I call it my electronic device story. Sure. Um, <clears throat> this was so probably seven, six or seven years ago. I was visiting my children in Oklahoma, and actually I had both of my daughters and their children and one of the, the uh, husbands and you know, grandchildren, and oh my goodness, it was just a real scene there. Every single person in that room, except me, was on some kind of an electronic device. I mean, this was a family gathering. Right. And, and I, I, you know, I 
I really was having, like, some serious self-doubts about my parenting skills. You know, I've blown it. This is tragic. And then I remember, no, my children are just, you know, they're being eaten alive by the culture that we're in. I mean, there's, you can protect them only so much and give them skills so much, and then they're, they're out there. So I'm looking around the room, and even the two-year-old was, you know, sitting on the lap of his aunt playing with her cell phone, some stupid game or another. And I glanced over because I I did have a cell phone, Carolyn, but it was sort of an (laughs) antique cell phone, you know. It didn't even close up. You know, it didn't do anything. I mean, it just you could make phone calls, you could receive phone calls, that was it. And I looked at it and I thought, hello, goodbye phone. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) And I looked at this thing and I thought, well, I can't even, like, enter into the, you know, current milieu of this living room because my, my, my device won't take me there and my heart is breaking because my children have been, you know, consumed by this horrible culture. At least in this moment, it felt so intense. And then I remembered I had Endgame by Derek Jensen in my suitcase. Uh. <laughs> and I, I went and I got it out. And I sat quietly, and nobody noticed. Nobody's paying any attention to Grandma sitting in the corner reading Derek Jensen. But Derek and I had an evening together at a time when I desperately needed that commiseration with somebody who really, truly, deeply got it. Yeah, and, you know, you use the word commiseration, but, you know, another word that we could use there is mourning together. Yes, it's like we're grieving together. Uh, we're not just Absolutely. kissing and moaning. We're grieving together at these horrible losses. Yes. And, well, and that fellowship, I mean, it's a funny word to use, you know, uh, fellowship around grief, but you, there's only so much grieving you can do by yourself. There needs to be an honoring, a recognition of that grieving process. Yeah, it's a real communion experience. Communing with mm-hmm. each other by way of grief, yeah. So you also mentioned Brian Swim, who we're going to talk a great deal about uh, later tonight. Um, but let's just introduce the name, and then you can tell us how Brian has influenced you. He is a physicist and mathematical cosmologist and a professor at the California Institute of Integral Studies in San Francisco. What has been Brian's impact on you? Mm-hmm. Wow, Mary Nelson is getting a lot of airtime tonight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's to cool. Bra- Hope she's she introduced listening. Me to, I'm, I'm sure that she is. Um, well, she introduced me to Brian Swim's work, uh, principally Canicles of the Cosmos and the Powers of the Universe uh, uh, DVD series. And I just I felt like I'd found, you know, a dear friend, very much as I had felt with, with Derek. Um, and, and Brian is just incredible. He is, you know, in, in, intelligent off the charts, a blazing sense of humor, and he's able to provide the, you know, the physics, the science, the hard data, uh, right there with the heart and soul. Yeah. And bring, you know, the story of the universe, uh, which, you know, Everything in the universe is interconnected, and we are stardust. We know this now. And uh, there's, you know, well, we, as you said, we'll get into a little more depth later on. Um, but he he brings us in lay languaging that anybody can wrap their mind around. 
He does it with humor. He does it with example and, and, and right down in the trenches of our daily life kind of experiences. These huge concepts. And it just, he does it brilliantly well. Um, one of the things that struck me over and over is how he has been talking about the extinction event that we're in the middle of for decades. And he puts this into a very large context. Um, you know, I've listened to Powers of the Universe uh, series, gosh, a few dozen times, and sometimes I've listened to some of them, particularly number five, Cataclysm, which is my favorite. And I, you've mentioned you like that one too. And each time uh, I get something deeper, I get some... I, get some new insight. I, I have another revelation, another piece of the puzzle fits together, and I say, well, how did I miss that? I've listened to this six times. How did I miss that? So there's this, you know, going again and again to Brian's work. Uh, you know, I go there for comfort. I go there for information, inspiration to be reminded. Um, and I just, I, I'm just never going to stop listening to Brian swim. Right, and you know, um, I absolutely love Neil deGrasse Tyson, and Brian, another physicist, has been talking about some of the same things Neil deGrasse Tyson has been talking about for decades, as you said. And we're going to talk about Brian a little bit later, but I'd like to turn attention now to another person um, who you have been very much influenced by, and that is Mike Rupert. And I'd like you to tell us how Mike influenced you and your work, because after you tell us this, we're going to play a special tribute song to Mike tonight on what would have been his 65th birthday. So your comments, Ivy, about Mike's influence on you. Well, gosh, you know, I can hear him in my mind, and occasionally I go back and listen to one of his programs, just so that I can hear him say, Welcome to the nightclub at the end of the world. And his being came into my awareness through Mary Nelson, who uh, back in '03 was working with um, a friend of hers in Nevada City, California, to bring Mike there to do a presentation. And she knew I was a videographer, and she very much wanted to have this videotaped, and Mike you know, declined that notion, I think a couple of times, and she was persistent. And after several requests, he finally did give permission for videotaping, but only one person, one camera, no crew, and the master tapes were to be given to him. So I was that videographer. And for five hours, I stood like a statue. And... Uh, I got a full immersion into Mike Rupert that night. I, I was following his every move on that stage with my camera and his every word with my ears. And really, truly, Carolyn, he instantly became a, a mentor to me in courage and truth-telling and being outrageous. And I've always had more than a little edge of outrageousness. And Mike gave me permission to just let that out. But the main thing about Mike is that he always gave us his heart and soul along with the facts. Yes, he did. He did. And uh, we're going to play this tribute song to Mike right now, and I want everyone to notice how this song begins with the recitation of a number of saints and angels. 
And yeah, it's the last song Mike played on the Lifeboat Hour on the night of April 13, 2014, when Mimi Gurman and I were his guests just less than an hour before he took his own life. From hindsight, as we re-listened to the show, we quickly understood the signal that he was sending us by playing this song that night. This is for you, Mike, with deep love and gratitude. Here's Katie Lang singing Calling All Angels. Santa Teresa, Santa Anna, Santa Susanna, Santa Cecilia, Santa Capilia, Santa Dominica, Mary Angelica, Freder Ashes, Freder Pietro, Julianus, Petronella, Santa, Santos, Ursa, Call 
That was Calling All Angels by Katie Lang. The last song played on the show by Mike Rupert, the night of his death, April 13, 2014, and the last night he hosted the Lifeboat Hour. And February 3rd, 1951, was the date of his birth, and we celebrate that birth tonight. With deep gratitude to Mike for asking me to take over this show, I'm your grateful host, Carolyn Baker, and this is the Lifeboat Hour. My guest tonight is Ivy Cohn, producer of Fuki Cafe and Extinction Radio. And Ivy, you mentioned in your notes to me this week that you've been influenced by many other companions on the journey of collapse and potential near-term human extinction. And I invite you to say more. And you mentioned your electronic devices story, so uh, I'm open to hearing more about that as well. Well, thank you, Carolyn. I... I um... I tucked that electronic devices story up there with Derek because it's just so perfect uh, in that spot. But, you know, the reality is there are so many people who have held my hand through their work, books, videos, uh, on this journey. Um, so many who speak and write on these topics. And those like yourself who actually are addressing the inner work necessary to be able to process what's happening, uh, to remain centered. This is extremely important. Actually, it's vitally important. Um, that's really the main event. That's what's going to get us through. Uh, we are we are in this blazing time of what Brian Swim would call cataclysm, and um, you know, how can we not fully embrace this moment uh, without knowing ourselves deeply? And you've written you know a number of books that deal with getting to actually know oneself and recognize feelings, express those feelings bring that knowing and that understanding forward into our relationships uh, with other humans, with other living critters, and indeed, you know, with the universe itself. So there's just so many. It would be an awfully long list. It would fill up the rest of the hour. (laughs) Indeed. Well, tell us a little bit about one of your projects, Fuki Cafe. I've heard you say that this endeavor is related to the 2011 Fukushima catastrophe. Tell us more. Well, uh, Mike is directly related to my creating Fuki Cafe. Um, He so confirmed for me in one of his programs shortly after the earthquake and tsunami that what I suspected um, was a game-changing event, Fukushima, 
was indeed just that. Uh, whatever happened next on this planet was going to be played out against this radioactive backdrop that was never going away. And, you know, not only that, but we've got over 400 additional nuclear power plants around the world. And, of course, all this, you know, the waste from that, which is tucked here and there. And, you know, the chances of this planet ending up as a radioactive methane fireball is still quite possible. Uh, not, not something I really try to dwell on all the time, but, you know, the radioactivity is just continuing. Uh, just be forth from from uh, Fukushima, and of course the fact that it was located right on the Pacific uh, Ocean has exacerbated the spread of that radiation just exponentially. Um, you know the, the devastation is going to continue for thousands of years. Dar Jamal on uh, just this past week on the 27th of January uh, put out uh, his fabulously well written articles. And this one is about Fukushima. I would point anyone who wants a really clear update uh, on what is so with that to to take a look at his at his recent article. So initially, uh, Carolyn Fuki Cafe was very focused on Fukushima, and I, I did several programs early on with that sole focus. Um, but it's all connected, you know, climate right. chaos, positive feedbacks, tools for dealing with our times, and all, all these became you know, programs uh, on Fuki Cafe. And my X-Notes, Field Notes from Extinction series, is actually a spin-off because Fuki Cafe programs tend to be longer, 20, 30, up to an hour. Actually, some of them are longer than that. And in our soundbite culture, um, I felt it was just really important to pull out short excerpts uh, from, you know, this long list of people yourself, Andrew Harvey, Cy McPherson, uh, gosh, Paul Beckwith, Derek Jensen, Dar Jamal, the list goes on and on, to, to take these little gems, you know, three to five minutes roughly in length, and repackage them, as it were, as these shorts. And that's what X-Notes is all about. It's short excerpts and, and just carrying forth the information in tiny bite-sized pieces that people can get. So, um, you know, I, I've done a lot of, you know, dot connecting, and I'm fairly articulate, but there are others who say it so much better than I can that I have I have found that excerpting from others' work and bringing it forward is something that I enjoy, I'm good at, and, and it serves a purpose and it supports the work of so many different individuals. I've, I've had a heck of a good time doing X-Notes. Well, that's great. And you're also the producer of Extinction Radio at extinctionradio.org, which is another Internet radio network that focuses heavily on abrupt climate change and the trajectory of near-term human extinction that our planet appears to be on. So I'm wondering what is fulfilling for you about doing that show, because the title and the focus could be depressing, but I sense that the show is for you quite fulfilling. Can you say more? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm having just a great time uh, being involved with producing Extinction Radio. Well, I'm a media producer in the middle of the sixth grade extinction event on planet Earth. And so, you know, what what else would I be doing? Right. <laughs> this is like right. a perfect fit for me. Um, you know, I'm just 
you know, working with a great group of people, and, and yes, it's very heavy-duty information that we're sharing. Uh, and yet, you know, we're also bringing comfort, uh, commiseration, empathy, and uh, often humor. And, Carolyn, you're a regular contributor and, and host, actually, for Extension yes. Radio yourself. Um, and so you often bring those elements of you know, doing the inner work and the extreme importance of those emotional and psychological aspects of what we're going through. So thank you so much for that. Well, thanks for having me on there. And uh, the, the show airs on Sunday night on Internet Radio. Um, what time would that be Eastern? Can you can you tell us? Oh goodness, um, or I, Pacific? Well, here's well here here's kind of the way it works. It's um, Gene Gibson is our co-producer um, as well as a host, but he is uh, the the knitter together and the poster of that uh, program each week. And I believe he usually posts that out. Um, it's usually on Facebook on, at some point. Well, yeah. Right, he, there's plenty of notification that goes out, and I think he posts that out on Friday. And then it airs on Activate Media on, I believe, Tuesday evening. And the time, I'm not really sure what the time is. Isn't that tragic? It's, it's scooted around a good bit. Yeah, that's um, okay. You know, but it's, it's, it's out there. You can, you can find it, and it's always in the archives at extinctionradio.org. Um, we're approaching the one-year anniversary of uh, Extinction Radio being in existence, and that's pretty exciting. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah, I want to encourage everyone to find the link, uh, extinctionradio.org, and, and listen up. Listen in. Listen to the podcast. Listen live if you can. Uh, we have an amazing variety of people uh, who contribute each week. And uh, it's it's a really stimulating show. And, and thank you, Ivy, for being so faithful in helping to produce it. Thank you. So um, you mentioned earlier that one of the people who's been extremely influential in your perception of our planetary predicament is physicist Brian Swim. And before I elaborate, I want to say that Brian has also been extremely influential in my worldview as well. Um, as a backstory, I want to state that Brian was heavily influenced by Thomas Berry, who was a Catholic priest of the Passionist Order, but Berry fell deeply in love with the earth and drifted away from theology, so much so that he stopped calling himself a theologian and started calling himself a geologian. And for several years before Barry died in 2009, he and Brian Swim collaborated on a number of projects regarding what both called the story of the universe. And I encourage everybody to Google Brian Swim, S-W-I-M-M-E, the story of the universe. And you'll get to his website where you can find all of his videos and his various uh, articles and projects that he's done and is doing. Now, the core of the story of the universe is the notion that the universe does have a story and that that story is also the story of the evolution of humans as well as all life forms. Barry also taught that the same powers that the universe displays in its ongoing functioning are also powers that humans have. And not only do we have those powers, but the purpose of our existence is to mirror and express those powers in our lives. In other words, our work is to behave as the universe behaves. And if we did, 
if we were to live the powers of the universe, we would not be presiding over the death of our planet and quite possibly the death of our species. So in my book, Love in the Age of Ecological Apocalypse, uh, I have a chapter on the ten powers of the universe and our relationship with those powers. Um, but maybe, Ivy, you'd like to share with us a little bit now about those powers um, and, and just briefly mention each one, and then we can go into one of them that we're going to be talking about uh, as kind of a springboard to the rest. So can you just give us an overview of the ten powers quickly? Oh, my goodness. Well, yes, I can. Okay, um, I'm sure you can. <laughs> I'm going to give, give the briefest version, but I, I really would, um, you know, in, in addition to your uh, love in the age of a uh, ecological apocalypse, also uh, extinction dialogues that you co-authored with Guy McPherson, uh, you do what I consider to be probably one of the most uh, eloquent and succinct overviews of the Ten Powers. So I'm not going to read all those from your book. I'm going to do an even shorter version, but I would love to point people to both of your books that, that actually you have done a brilliant job of bringing forth uh, a, a clear synopsis of those. So seamlessness, the source of all power, the ground of being, pure generativity, centration, power of concentration and exhilaration, how the universe centers on itself. Allurement, the power of attraction, how things hold together. Emergence, the power of creativity, how the universe transcends itself. Homeostasis, the power of maintaining achievement, what the universe values. Cataclysm, the power of destruction, living in a universe where things break down. Synergy, the power of working together, mutually enhancing relationships. Transmutation, the power to change the self, discipline and constraints. Transformation, the power to change the whole, communion and intimacy. Interrelatedness, the power of care, how the universe responds to the other. Radiance, the power of magnificence, how the universe communicates. And those Descriptions of the ten powers, seamlessness, centration, allurement, emergence, homeostasis, cataclysm, synergy, transmutation, transformation, interrelatedness, and radiance are actually from Brian's uh, website, I believe. Right, and in a moment we're going to listen to a sound clip from Brian. Um, the audio clip that you've chosen uh, to share with us deals with the very first power, seamlessness, but we're going to go beyond that power. We're going, to, we're going to play that clip, which is about five minutes long, and then I'm going to ask you to tell us why you chose this particular one of the ten powers and what it means to you. Could we have the sound clip, please, of Brian Swim on seamlessness? We are going to look at and explore the ten cosmological powers of the universe, and in particular, seamlessness, the ground out of which all of these come. 
But I wanted to begin by setting the context of our discussion, and that is the withering planet. We live in the midst of an amazing life system, but it happens to be falling apart. It happens to be withering in our time. And in actual fact, it has not been this bad for millions of years. We know that now through careful study of the past. So our moment is the moment when the planet is withering, and we have got to respond to this creatively. This fact is not going to change overnight. This is going to happen throughout the planet for a long period of time. How are we going to respond creatively in the middle of all of this? That's our question. The more we look at it, the deeper it gets. And our creativity has to be in response. 20,000 species are being destroyed every year. Right? If we weren't here, right, this wouldn't be taking place. It is 100 to 1,000 times worse because we're here. So it's just overwhelming. And we have to deal with the fact that there's been nothing like this for really, tens of millions of years. Here we are in the middle of that. So one way to think about our moment is that the human species is undergoing a vast transformation, something that amounts to a speciation, the birth of a new species. One of the great things about the human species is that we can give birth to a new form of humanity without changing our anatomy. We're the only species that can do that. It's, let's take advantage of it, right? We can do that. Let's do that. We've done that in the past. We've changed from hunter-gatherers into the Neolithic people, Neolithic into the classical, classical into modern. These are huge moments. But by far, the most radical moment was the time humans settled down. So we, we existed, I mean, who knows when humans first began? The, do you start when we first stood up? That's four million years ago. Do you start when we used tools? That's two and a half million years ago. Do you start when our brain size was its present capacity? That's 150,000 years ago. Let's pick that. So in 150,000 years, for all that time, except for recently, we moved about the planet in small groups, hunting and gathering. That's what we did. So that, to be human means to live like that. And then this incredible moment came when we settled down. You know, 10, 20,000 years ago, we began to settle down into villages. Vast, vast change. Believe me, at that time, nobody wanted to do it because this wasn't like seen as a, as a positive thing. The, the historians and archaeologists and anthropologists reflecting on this are convinced the only reason we made that move is because there was no way out. We were boxed in. We'd, we'd filled the planet up with humans. There, were, there weren't areas we could just enter into and to exploit for the first time. We were just boxed in. And in that intense moment, we gave birth to another form of the human, which uh, is, is a neutral event in a certain sense. I mean, I'm not saying it was a good moment or a bad moment. I'm just saying it was a, it was a radical moment. And our situation historically is just like that. We're at a time when we can no longer live in this form of civilization we call industrial. If we continue this way, the destruction only gets worse. So 
Most people who have thought about this carefully, who have the luxury to think about things carefully, have come to the same conclusion. It's a form of life that's over. So how do we move forward? And then there are a number of different proposals. And one of them is what we're exploring here. So we, we are at this point of impasse. It's just, if there were a way out, we would take it. That's why some people wanted uh, space travel. It's the idea of, let's go to another planet and, and just keep it going. You know, it's, it's unlikely. So here we are. How do we move forward? One of the suggestions is this. It has to do with the understanding of our role. That's the question. What does it mean to be human? What's our role? What's our identity? These are all the same question. That, if you're a hunter-gatherer, you had an answer. And the answer is how you organized the civilization or the, the culture of the hunter-gatherer. Neolithic people had an answer. They knew what their role was. They knew what their identity was. It was all worked out, the whole thing. You know, it took time, but it was all carefully worked out. And we have one industrial society. So what if we're at a point where the role of the human is different than what we thought it was during industrial society? That's our moment. We are going to look at and explore the 10 cosmological powers of the universe, and in particular, seamlessness, the ground out of which all of these come. But I wanted to begin by setting the context of our discussion, and that is the withering planet. We live in the midst of an amazing life system, but it happens to be falling apart. It happens to be withering in our time. And so uh, there's just a little blurb from Brian on seamlessness, and the things that grabbed me, of course, he's dead on about the withering of our planet. Uh, that's where he's coming from. He's not coming from some airy fairy. We can turn uh, all of this around. But in the rest of the powers beyond seamlessness, he tells us how we can, and here's the magic phrase, learn what it means to be human. That's what this is all about. What does it mean to be human? Industrial civilization has caused us to completely forget that. And so the ten powers are about helping us remember to what it is to be human and to live from that place of our deeper humanity. Wouldn't you agree, Ivy? I agree completely, Carolyn. And I, I for myself, feel that the enormous pressure that human consciousness is under at this time uh, is contributing to you know that speciation that he refers to. It's not just that we're remembering how to be human. We're not going back to a former human state necessarily. We are moving forward into an evolved new state of being human. And that, of course, is completely uncharted territory. And well, we, we, can either, we can either choose to do that as you and I have been talking about with the inner work, or we can be oblivious and then the forces of nature that are imploding will come along, smack us upside the head, and force us to do that, right? Oh, that, that is true. And if, if I, in my humble opinion, if one has not been doing some significant inner work along the way, it's very likely that when that moment of realization comes, that without some tools in the toolbox, we're going to have people who are blowing gaskets, 
uh, falling completely apart, becoming virtually useless uh, or worse. And, you know, that, I look at that and I go, wow, there's like more people who are probably going to be in that category than not. And then there's another element, Carolyn, that I, I find myself dwelling on rather frequently, and that is uh, the, the short time frame that we may have um, in order to achieve this, this sort of quantum leap to the, you know, what does it mean to be human and how to actualize that in whatever time we may have left because it's not looking good for life systems on planet Earth right now. Right. So, you know, even if humans go extinct, along with so many of the other hundreds of thousands of species that humans have already caused to go extinct. Even if that occurs, for me, it's that I'm going to go out in my integrity. I'm going to go out as much as possible embracing and helping to bring forth, you know, that emergence that, that, that Brian speaks of, one of the powers. You know, can I be part of the emergence of a more fully... Um, developed and more fully actualized human being in whatever time I have left. And uh, just quickly now, we've only got about five minutes. Uh, could you mention a couple of emotional and spiritual tools that you use to help you navigate the current trajectory of planetary hospice in which we find ourselves? Oh, goodness. Well, I've, I've, I've got a few. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Um, <clears throat> some of them are, you know, a little on the esoteric edge of things, but some of them are really basic. I do a morning stretch yoga routine mm-hmm. that started out because I needed it for my body, which had some issues going on. And I realized very quickly that the benefits to my mind and my spirit were tremendous. And I can tell the difference when I don't do that. If I miss a day here or there, it really helps. Um, just clearing my mind, centering myself, breathing, I mean, just your basic stuff. Um, one of the other things that, that I have really worked hard on, Carolyn, in the last few years, because I was a serious workaholic for most of my life, uh, was retraining myself, you know, kind of reprogramming and learning how to simply sit still, to simply be. And I, many, many times a day now, will stop whatever it is that I'm doing and I will go outside and I will just look around and really look, really notice, really listen to discover what what life has right there in front of me to share with me that I can commune with. Um, the other day, it was in a downpour of rain, this squirrel, you know, kind of scurrying around my compost bin area, but he was like getting down behind this flower pot. And I thought, what in the world? He, you know, why, what is, he was digging up a nut that he had buried. And I just completely was with that squirrel digging up its nuts, rejoicing with him that he had buried the nut, that he had food that day as he scurried off onto a branch and proceeded to eat it. That was 10 minutes. I wasn't doing anything else. My mind was not thinking about anything else. I was simply being with that squirrel with that nut. 
Okay. That is, so. one, that is one example, but it doesn't matter. You can walk out the door into any place where there's a blade of grass or a bush or a tree or whatever and find, I mean, turn over a spade full of dirt and look at the critters. We're out of time, Ivy. Thank you so much for your your work in the world and who you are and what you shared with us today. I'm so happy to know you and wish you the very best with your projects. I want to tell all of our listeners we're back on Wednesday nights again next week. Join us next week when I interview Paul Levy talking about his new book, Awakened by Darkness. Bye-bye, everyone. The poor stay poor. The rich get rich, that's how it goes. Everybody knows.